Oklahoma wins Bedlam for the 91st time in quite the unusual fashion. You're listening to the Mainline Podcast. I'm Adam Jacquez, joined by Corbin Polson. We've got a lot to uh, unpack from uh, the recruiting impact to bowl games and, of course, uh, the upcoming trip to Lubbock. Uh, but, of course, first, Corbin, since Tyler's not here, and maybe this is the opportunity to rub it in without him here to defend himself, tell us how the Avs are doing. Abs are doing good. We have won, uh, I think, five out of the last six. Same thing as last year, starting to find our stride. We still have a starting lineup worth of injuries of guys out. So just the fact that we're like maintaining uh, is wonderful. But we'll get uh, we'll get Tyler hooked on the bandwagon of the Avalanche since he's, uh, you know, may or may not be heading out to uh, the Denver area. But uh, we'll see how it goes. I figured there'd be some trash talk since uh, didn't the Avs beat the Stars last night? I can't stand the Stars. Um, so I stayed up later than I should have uh, to make sure the Avs got the W and they pulled it out in a shootout. So can't complain. There you go. Well, let's talk a little football then. Bedlam happened this past weekend and OU won the first quarter and then held on for the final three quarters. Quite the interesting game there. I guess let's start with defense here because they were great. From start to finish, pretty much four interceptions, five sacks. They had six total Big 12 sacks coming into the year and almost matched that in one game. Granted, we kind of knew this Oklahoma State offense was beat up and they didn't really have the weapons that they've had in years past. But Spencer Sanders is, you know, a good enough quarterback to you know really hurt you. But this defense took care of business pretty handily. Yeah, you could tell Spencer wasn't fully healthy. Uh, I think that was pretty obvious, a beat-up guy. But, I mean, most people probably beat up this time of the year, some maybe more than others. I think this Oklahoma State offensive line is really bad, and they got exposed by just guys who were simply more talented. I don't know if it had necessarily anything to do with scheme or anything like that. I think it was just this defense was just better, Um, and we haven't been able to say that. But even going back to – Baylor, this defense struggled. I thought West Virginia as a whole, the defense played all right. That's a game that definitely I think this team should have won. So you're looking now, what, back-to-back weeks of pretty solid defensive performance, uh, you know, when you're looking at kind of a bird's-eye view. Will that continue in Lubbock? We'll see. Um, But yeah, it it felt very similar to Bedlam two years ago in Norman, uh, in my opinion. OU gets out early, and then they just kind of floated along. I think this one was a bit more stressful because the offense literally couldn't do anything in the second half, um, where at least, you know, a couple years ago, there was points on the board, I think, that uh, OU scored in the second half. So it was a win. Did it feel like one post game? Not totally sure. It was really stressful for what it should have been. Plenty of opportunities put the, uh, the nail in the coffin. They never did it. Yeah, defensively, well, I guess as a whole, after that first quarter, you thought, man, like we're just exercising our demons here and yep. um, we're about to go, you know, have a parade on, on Twitter for what this team is about to do. And then they just completely, the defense was great, but the yep. offense completely shut things down. And um, defensively, yeah, you could say that Oklahoma State's really not that good or doesn't have that much ability at this point in the year. And that's true, but we've seen OU defenses in the past still make inept offenses look really awesome. And I think for the most part, we're starting to see a trend of, okay, at Iowa State, they did exactly what they should have done to that offense against West Virginia up until the backup quarterback came in. And even while the backup was in there, uh, Garrett Green, for a decent chunk of the second half, they did okay. Um, You'd still like them to improve and do better. but um, And then you go into Oklahoma State and you go, you know, that's not a good offense at this point in the year. They should be able to, to handle them. And they, they do that. So mm-hmm. they're starting to build a little bit of trust with me. I would like to see some more pieces do better there. Um, Reggie Grimes, not a part of the sack party like everybody else was. I don't know what happened through the first three games of the year because he was an absolute monster sacking everybody. And now he is non-existent, not even tackles for losses. But yep. um, otherwise, I think you look around and go, there's a lot of great performances, four picks. They probably could have had six or seven with the way Spencer Sanders was throwing it. So mm-hmm. Overall, it's like, okay, it's a step in the right direction. We know we got some good talent coming in that can help with that. But there seems to be a little bit more consistency and a little bit more trust in what the defense is bringing to the table. It felt like they were just playing. And a lot of this year, we watched them play slow because there's just so much thinking involved. Um, It felt very natural reaction we just haven't seen that much this year um so it was nice to see and of course it's nice to see against you know a team that most sooner fans probably dislike you know more than most uh so it was uh it was a good way to end the home slate can they carry it over the season's not done can they carry it over to an additional one to two weeks 
we'll see. I, I have my doubts. Yeah, I do think it's an important confidence builder because I think on defense, especially at OU, confidence is one of the biggest yeah. things that they need to uh, continue to improve and go forward. Offense, I think, can ebb and flow a little bit more, and you can kind of get away with that. So I guess we got to talk about it. Offense, <laughs> amazing until the script ran out for Jeff Levy, and then all of a sudden, I couldn't do anything. I think uh, Dylan Gabriel had three passing yards in the second half. I don't think there was a single drive. It might have been the entire game or at least the second half or the last three quarters that lasted more than 90 seconds. Um, Eric Gray had one 35-yard run, um, 90, I think 90 yards total on the day. So outside of that one long run was kind of just okay. Um, and everything just shut down. And it was like, dear God, like, please hold on. <laughs> please get one first down and run a little yeah. bit of clock. And oh, you a little bit shot themselves in the foot with how they managed the clock, in my opinion. But yeah, what like what happened there? I don't even know. I mean, I don't think it's all on play calling. I think it can be in a weird way. It's more on coaching than it is on play calling, if that makes sense. Like not running the clock down, especially in the fourth quarter. Uh, I think there was like a third and uh, third and two where Dylan hikes the ball with 15, 17 seconds to go. We're punting the ball while it's in the high teens on the the uh, the play clock. It it's yeah it was it's one of those like it wasn't the play calling it was like how the coaching kind of got into this situation just wasn't very good. I actually thought some of the play calls were properly called and poorly executed. Um, specifically, one I'm thinking of kind of towards the end of the fourth quarter. I think it was a third and two. Gray has got room to go get the first down. He just doesn't do it. He gets hit like sideways and falls weird and comes up short when all he's got to do is fall forward and it's a first down, the clock continues to move. So there were some things in there where it wasn't just on Levy. Levy was calling the right play and was poorly executed. But as a whole, this has to go on him. Uh, go, I mean, you go three quarters of zero points and like super limited first downs. And now you're looking at back-to-back at -back weeks where your third down conversion percentage is just atrocious. Man, I don't know what necessarily needs to change, but I think pointing the finger at Jeff Lebby is appropriate. And at some point you have to point your finger at Brent Venables in there during that game and say, Hey, you're the head coach. You have to make a call that something's got to change here, especially just forget the play calling just about the play clock. You have to start running it down and they refuse to do so. It was one of the more bizarre situations. I think I've seen an OU team in um, it just, none of it made much sense. Yeah, I don't think Lebby had a great feel for the game after his script ran out. Right. He didn't seem to have a feel for what direction to go with the ball and some of his play calls. Some of them were were fine. And like you mentioned with Eric Gray, I rewatching the game, saw several times where I don't think he found the right hole or the right – he didn't have the great greatest field vision on Saturday. Yeah. A guy who did have great field, field vision was Javante Barnes. Six carries, 59 yards, 9.8 per, per carry. Yep. So I would have liked to have seen him get a few more opportunities because he was finding the running lanes, whereas Eric Gray was not. Um, but you combine some of those, you know, like you mentioned, Eric Gray just following the wrong direction. And then on top of that, your, your short passing game, there were several drops in there after that first quarter by multiple different uh, Bad day for Farouk for the most part. Farouk, uh, Stoops yep. had a drop. Um, you know, there, there were some other guys that had drops as well. Marvin Mims, I don't know if he got a target maybe after he had that one catch in the, I think it was the third quarter that got called back on that weird phantom holding call yeah. of Anton Harrison. Bizarre. Yeah. But other than that, I don't think he was targeted and that was kind of a broken down play. So it wasn't like he was necessarily intended there, but yeah, it, when you, this Jeff Levy offense, we've seen it time and time again, um, that when they get behind the chains, whether it's a penalty or maybe just a incompletion on first down, it's so hard for them to overcome that. And I think that happened several times where we started getting to the, we maybe even got down to like third and four or third and five. And then like, we just, we can't get over that hump and they get yeah. off the field so quick and the, the clock's mismanaged in the process. So it's frankly amazing that the defense was able to hang on there. Well, and I think as many OU fans that probably are frustrated with Jeff Levy, I would imagine the entire Oklahoma State uh, fandom is very frustrated with Gundy and his play calling. For whatever reason, yeah. when it comes to Bedlam, he just gets so conservative. And to be frank, that's probably the only reason we end up winning that game was his, some of his conservative play callings. The fourth and two, I think, what, early in that third quarter? Amazing that he punted that. 
And he did that same thing yeah. back in what, 2017, 2018, the big high scoring Bedlam game yeah. where it was fourth and one and like neither defense was stopping each other. And he decides to punt on fourth. It's just the decisions he decides to make in Bedlam are really mind boggling. I don't know that I've ever seen a coach that has, that is so controlled by an, another logo that his entire in a way, decision making is bizarre. In a way, this was kind of the year to slow play OU and let themselves shoot themselves in the foot. And honestly, like they didn't. This is probably one of the first times where we haven't seen this team absolutely destroy themselves with mistakes, penalties. The offense tried. They, re- they really tried, but they didn't make the critical, <laughs> critical error. Right. You know, they just couldn't get 10 yards. <laughs> That's right. all it came down to, which is frankly dumbfounding and embarrassing at a program like OU with the talent that we have. Okay, let's talk Dylan Gabriel a little bit, I guess. Yeah. People want to, and you've probably been more most critical on this podcast of any of us here on Dylan Gabriel. I still think he's he's fine. Like we kind of know what he is. Mm -hmm. We know there's tons of playmakers around him. He misses a few here and there. He's not missing like ten passes a game. He's missing like three or four, and they're usually pretty critical. But I feel like that's more than enough. But did you see something? Or I guess now that we have a longer track record, are you seeing something there that? you really feel like he needs to not be the guy next year. No, actually, in my opinion, I think he does need to be the guy next year. I think in the perfect world, he should come back for a season. Let's be honest. If we're expecting Jackson Arnold to roll out as a true freshman and like drastically change this offense, I just want to like set the expectation to everybody listening. You're going to be like, those expectations are unrealistic. You're going to be very disappointed if you expect Jackson Arnold to roll out there and be a Heisman candidate from day one. It just really normally does not work like that. Um, and I think Jackson Arnold is going to be very good. But if he gets the opportunity to come sit behind Dylan Gabriel for a year, learn this offense for a year, get bigger, faster, stronger in the weight room, and then in kind of his either redshirt freshman or true sophomore year, then he takes the reins. I think that's the best case scenario. And I and as much as Dylan Gabriel knows this Jeff Levy offense, I think another year in the system would probably help. Um, what type of weapons does he have specifically at receiver um, for next season? I think that's a bigger question mark than maybe Dylan, Dylan Gabriel himself. So I think I'm with you in a sense where we know what Dylan is. We know what he isn't. Um, he's going to provide two to four throws like you mentioned where you just don't quite understand what's going on there but he was not getting much help in any way shape or form on saturday whether running game uh drop passes you name it he just i think his numbers and his overall game could have been better with some help yeah i I, i'm the one on this podcast that's always calling for more running plays and you know some people disagree with that but that's fine like I just think if, if Dylan Gabriel is not the Heisman quarterback that we're used to here at Oklahoma, let's not ask him to throw 41 passes a game, especially when we're up 28 to nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and I know a lot of those passes did come in the first quarter because the scripted right. plays were almost completely passes. So we didn't really establish the run in the first quarter right. whatsoever. But yeah, I would just say like to say, you know, hey, if if we are really not that confident in him, and I'm sure Jeff Levy is super confident in mm-hmm. him. But as a fan base, we're not. I think we should be calling for more more help from from Dylan Gabriel by calling more running plays. <laughs> so, yeah, that's. I think that's where. Like, I see your point. At the same time, I look at like the game flow after quarter one, and like, it's not like they totally abandoned the run. They were running it. They should be gaining more yards than what they did. Javante Barnes should have gotten more touches but we gave it to Eric Gray instead. And for probably like the right reason, Eric Gray has been one of the few bright stars through game in game out this entire season. So he probably should get the touches. But again, I think you said it best. Like Levy lost the feel of the game. At some point you got to look like Eric doesn't have it tonight for whatever reason, whether it's the line, whether it's the tempo, whether it's whatever, like he's does, he's not the hot hand. Javante Barnes was, proving that he could kind of push this team further and he just didn't get the opportunities to do so as much. It felt like in the second half. Yeah. 26 carries for running backs versus 41 passing attempts uh, on Saturday. I think this offense, and maybe it's just lack of confidence in the running game, or maybe Javante Barnes is still recovering from an injury. I don't know if he's on like a carry count or anything like that, but I think this offense is at its best when you've got one guy at 20 carries and probably the next guy at 15. And you've got a really, you know, one, two combo there. And we, 
I don't know, just haven't either developed that or aren't trying to develop it. How much so. of that do you think is on Conjol being at center and how amazingly slow those snaps <laughs> were getting to, to Dylan? Because that obviously is throwing off the passing game, but that split second to, to slow down the running game, that's really, really vital. Um, and so I wonder how much of that was we can't run the ball like we're used to running the ball, so we are going to get away from it a little bit more. Possibly. And, you know, he's not as an effective blocker once he's right. done snapping it either. So, yeah, it was kind of disappointing the way that we weren't able to run the ball against Oklahoma State defense that was, I think, worse than us statistically uh, on rush defense. Yeah. So, pretty pathetic. <laughs> but we, well, we better get used to Condal with Raim. I think yeah. he's out for the year. Yeah. Hopefully, you can figure out something in this week of practice to pick up the snap tempo. Um, but man, that was hard to watch. I mean, it was like he was Condor was lobbing the ball to Dylan every single time. And like that, that does throw off the rhythm, especially for an offense who relies on rhythm. That's just a, a recipe for disaster. Yeah, it was hard to watch, but for some people in attendance, I think they really liked what they saw. And that sure. was some of the recruits that were here in Norman. We had five-star yeah. David Hicks on campus, Peyton Bowen, who I think is a composite five-star. He's definitely top 50 in pretty much every uh, recruiting site rankings that you see he was in town i guess those were the two big ones you also had damian sanford uh the texas a&m linebacker commit that came along with david hicks from uh katie where they're both from interesting reports coming out david hicks sounds like ou is really back in that picture very solidly but he has scheduled an unofficial visit back to texas a&m <laughs> five days before signing day on december 16th it, it, this is the roller coaster corbin you know do you have any faith in uh, in where OU stands here, or do you think we're about to be left at the altar again? I don't know, because at this point, like, what else does Texas A&M have to offer? Like, he's already got the NIL, whatever that dollar amount was. Like, it could be more, of course. But, like, if, if you're not – if anybody out there is knocking OU for a disappointing season and how it should refer, reflect on recruiting – Right. There's not many others that have the expectations that we have that are doing worse, and Texas A&M is one of them. So what what is A&M going to do to keep this thing locked up? And I guess you could ask the, the question already in reverse. Since A&M has already done everything they're going to do, if he was going to flip, why hasn't he already done it? Um, and so I don't know, man. I, I also have a tough time going and looking at some of these high caliber recruits that do this wishy-washy flip back and forth that actually are successful on the football field in years to come. Maybe I, maybe there are other schools where this happens a lot and these guys actually do end up being successful, but the ones that we recruit, why does it always seem like the guys who go back and forth and can't really decide never actually pan out to the the ranking that they've been given? So I don't know. I mean, what do you think? This, this feels like every other big time recruit that we go after where it's like, oh, I'm all OU until, you know, I get what I want from an ex other school. And typically it's A&M. Yeah, it is a new regime in Norman. So we don't have as much track record yet of how Brent Venables handles these situations. Fair. It was interesting to see that, you know, he, he well, I don't want to say he didn't flip. He was never committed to OU, but it was all right. OU up until 30 minutes before he signed right. or, or sorry, committed rather to A&M. And it was okay. Well, he got a huge bag from, from A&M essentially was everyone's right. thinking there. And we know that we're not going to be able to outbid A&M, mm -hmm. you know, whatever we put together NIL wise, it's always going to be more from A&M unless there's a situation where the A&M donors are saying, hey, we're going to save our money for a Jimbo buyout. And why continue funding recruits for a guy that we pretty much want to to fail all the way? Right. So I don't think that's going to happen. I think there's too many boosters at A&M that they're not all going to be in that particular camp. But yeah. with David Hicks and with any player that is really, really interested in just getting the most amount of money there – it's just like being a salesperson, which is the whole reason we have this podcast. We all did ticket sales in some form or fashion at the University of Oklahoma, and we often didn't have the cheapest price. You could go to StubHub and get a cheaper price. But what people couldn't get was some of the intangibles that the university offered. And so I think that's the same approach that Brent Venables needs to, to play here. You know, Don't get into a bidding war. Put out your, your final offer late in the process. Uh, with a guy like David Hicks and then ask, you know, the hard questions of, you know, well, how much is winning worth to you? Mm -hmm. How much is having a great relationship with Todd Bates worth to you? And ask that to the parents too. Like, 
you know, you could, I don't know what the numbers are. I'm just throwing out random numbers. Let's say it's a million dollars from A&M and it's 750 from OU. Is winning worth $250,000? Is having a great relationship with Todd Bates worth that? Like that's, that's what OU's focus needs to be on because no matter what we do as a fan base, you know, we're just smaller than A&M. We just don't have the same bank accounts they do. And so we're not going to win that battle. Yeah. And if it's all about the money to a kid, maybe we don't want to win the battle. I mean, that's just maybe the risk you have to take where if it's like his number one priority and there's a significant gap between your priority one and then priority two, three, and four, and one is just the cash, maybe that's not the guy that we need to be recruiting. You know, if it's strictly about what this, what can somebody pay me? Because I do think for some of those kids, I think it's more likely to see them opt out. I, I think it's more likely on their junior senior season when they've racked up all the tape they need to have and say, you're having a bad year. It's more likely that they don't continue playing that season. So, you know, that's certainly not an absolute statement by any means, but yeah, if it is priority one and one alone is how much you can pay me one, we're not going to win those battles. And two, maybe we don't want them. Uh, look at AM, AM. A lot of those kids have priority number one. How much are you going to pay me? And they are what, three and seven, three and six, whatever it is right now. Um, three, and three and eight. Or no, they just won. They're four and eight. Four and That's seven. right. They beat what? Something like you yeah. uh, messed somebody. You messed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it wasn't pretty either. Uh, so, you know, maybe, I don't know, may, maybe that shouldn't be somebody we're recruiting. Brent Venables would never do this, but I would do it if I were the coach. All right. I would just uh, keep bidding a little bit higher, drive that price up, set a new standard for what it you know costs to get a player to go to A&M, sure. and then leak that number out to all the 2024 and 2025 recruits that if they want to go to A&M, they need to be asking for four or five, six million dollars, you know, sure. whatever it is that you can drive that price up to, and just set a new standard for, uh, for all those donors at A&M to have to continue to fund. So... You know, if, if there was a game this year that was good for all these high-end defensive uh, players in particular to be at, they couldn't have drawn it up much better than what, what took place on Saturday night. So I'll be very curious. I know we've talked about David Hicks, but you look at guys like Peyton Bowens, uh, you know, Ashton Sanders, uh, you know, has, has already committed to the Sooners. Uh, who are we missing? The Taylor Wine, Wayne kid. Taylor, Wine kid. Um, he's already committed as well. Be very curious. Seems like a lot of smoke around Peyton Bowen, but now he has other visits set up already um, to Texas, which I haven't heard Texas's name in quite some time for him. Uh, so, yeah. What, do, what are your thoughts on the Bowen kid? Yeah, it was a great game. I mean, with uh, Billy Bowman picking off that pass, I think you couldn't have had much better uh, situation there for him to be there in person to, to see that. With Peyton Bowen, he has been visiting OU for almost a year now. Mm-hmm. And from the very first visit, I think way back in January, it's been, well, it's probably going to, it's probably going to go to OU, probably going to go to OU. And I just feel like I've been hearing that for 11 months at this point. Yeah. And I'm like, well, why hasn't he picked OU yet? Like, what is he waiting to see? Things aren't better <laughs> than they were in January. They aren't no. better than they were in August. It is what it is. Um, you know, maybe he's waiting for an NIL bag. It doesn't sound like there's as much chatter around that. It sounds more like it's a, a mom wants a Notre Dame degree type of thing. Right. Um, which, you know, moms have different priorities than players. We'll see who wins True. out at the end of the day. We haven't won too many battles with mom or without mom <laughs> across the board uh, for many of our recruits lately. It seems like it always goes against us. But um, I think the smoke is definitely more serious after that Bedlam victory than it has been in years past. But again, like you mentioned, he's going to go visit some other places. And the further he gets away from that visit, I think the harder that battle becomes. Well, we've won recruiting battles in the past due to girlfriends. And we will uh, see if that trend continues. Obviously, his girlfriend, I believe, is on the soccer team uh, here in Norman. So some things always win. I won't say that word on our podcast, but uh, <laughs> we'll see if that reigns true. But I think the only guy, Adam, that we're really in question about at this moment is Anthony Evans, who seems to have gone very quiet since that uh, Georgia, Tennessee uh, visit in Athens. It, it feels like he's just kind of waiting to leave. Is that how you're kind of uh, feeling as well? Yeah, that's another weird one, right? He's several Mm -hmm. weeks away from that Georgia-Tennessee visit now, and it hasn't happened yet. So he's flying a little bit under the radar with some of the big names that were on campus in Norman this past weekend. But yeah, he's been extremely quiet. 
we did see him tweet, I guess, at Jackson Arnold because uh, Jackson Arnold, someone listed him as a receiver, and it was kind of like a funny joke. And Anthony yeah. Evans was was commenting on that, but otherwise, it's kind of it's kind of quiet, which is really strange to me. And I wonder if maybe he's waiting to see who OU might hire as the wide receivers coach. It sounds maybe. like Ladamian Washington is probably not the long term answer there. I don't think he's done a bad job this year necessarily, but it just sounds receivers like- have gotten worse since the beginning of the year. Is it mainly based on just catching or not catching the ball, though? Like, I don't know how much you can coach that, you know, to some level. I think you can coach it a lot because that was one thing that OU just didn't have issues with in the past was you just didn't see when you drop balls. Yeah, that's true. So, I don't know. Maybe he's waiting to see who the coach is at OU. I don't know if that really matters a whole lot. But it is weird that he's several weeks away from that Georgia-Tennessee game and still hasn't done anything yet. So, like, if he's really going to flip back to Georgia – like, what are you waiting on? Hasn't he done it? Yeah. Yeah. Are are we oversimplifying that Malcolm Kelly is a shoe in for this role? Or do you feel like that's too easy of an answer for the wide receiver coach? Seems pretty easy, but Brent has shown a proclivity to go back to OU guys, um, keeping it in the family, mm-hmm. which maybe later on down the line, maybe that hurts us. But I think Malcolm Kelly would be a great addition to the wide receiver room. Now, does TCU go to the playoff, and does that slow that process down? Hmm. Possibly. I mean, you'd hate to take him away from that team if they were to go on and win a national championship, so to speak. Like, you kind of want that that ring to be in our room now at OU. Sure. So, I don't know. It could, could get interesting there. But, yeah, I mean, he's obviously the name that comes up the most. I, it's not unlikely for him to accept the job to finish out the year, especially if they go to the playoff finish out the year whenever it ends it ends but like once it's done like headed to norman it's you know it's public knowledge we we, i think you see that more often with playoff teams and coaches making changes than what you typically would see like even in bowl games i feel like that's like wait till the bowl game's over then announce it but playoff is so far down the line you almost have to kind of announce it to get ahead on everything else so i wouldn't be surprised even if tc goes to playoff if we hear that but yeah it does not sound like the damian washington is the guy that will be leading that room in the future. Yeah. A few other names. It, we need to mention Ashton Sanders and Taylor wine, yeah. both committed to OU, both three stars. So not exactly super exciting by recruiting standards, but Ashton Sanders, a guy that I think Wisconsin was really hard after probably was, you know, one of the favorites to get his commitment. And so anytime you get a guy that Wisconsin wants known for great defense there in Madison, I think that's a solid one. He's a, uh, you know, he's, he's got some moves. I think that, and I think Taylor wine the same way too, just watching the film. I don't want to see guys that are just constantly pushing and overpowering the right. opposite uh, offensive lineman. Cause if you're six to 280 pounds, like you should be doing that to everybody in high school. Um, but to see like some swim moves, swim moves and some different, uh, some spin moves, things like that. It's like, okay, there's a little bit more technique on these guys, even though guys from Tennessee guys from, you know, Los Angeles, I, there's some decent football in those areas, but it's not Texas. It's not Florida. So, you know, the competition level, it's always hard to judge there, but I think solid pickups with any three star though, it's always like, well, they could be a huge hit. They could be totally mediocre. Like that's just kind of the expectation from a three star. So we'll see. Yeah. I I think we need size, especially that defensive tackle position. It had to be addressed by regardless of star had to be addressed. Um, But this is kind of what happens when you lose out on a guy like, Caden McDonald, I believe is his name, uh, ended up going to uh, Ohio State. You kind of have to backpedal and figure out who's the best one and hope that you find a diamond in rough. And I think both of these guys got some uh, attention from bigger schools down the stretch. So hopefully that should give this fan base some confidence that these aren't just like random guys, that these guys were just uncovered late. And um, yeah, hopefully they can make an impact on the uh, Crimson and Cream uniforms. Definitely. Let's talk a little bit about bowl games. OU is bowl eligible. Oh I was walking out of the stadium yelling, we're going to the Tax Act Texas Bowl. <laughs> that's what everyone uh, dreams of when they think of yeah. the postseason for college football. But that's actually probably the uh, most projected spot that OU would go to. Um, that's the bowl game played in Houston. And most projections have OU playing either Arkansas, where OU would be about a four and a half point favorite I saw from uh, Brett McMurphy. Um, I've also seen some Mississippi State projections in there. I think people would love that. Sports writers would not let that one die because of Mike Leach versus Oklahoma. It would be super annoying. But um, two SEC programs, Power Five teams that could be could be playing there. Some other projections. Uh, 
The Athletic had OU to the Cheez-It Bowl versus Florida State. Uh, I've also seen uh, some to the Liberty Bowl. Sounds like Auburn is the most likely opponent there. Um, they would be one of the five and seven teams if they you know, fail to beat Alabama that's playing into the postseason. So Power Five teams, SEC teams uh, across the board there. Fairly interesting matchups. Yeah, the only one I honestly would probably put money on to beat is Auburn of that group. I think Arkansas with uh, uh, Jefferson. Jefferson. Yes, yep. thank you. Jefferson back is super dangerous. Uh, and I think Florida State's a really good ball club. Uh, they're playing really well this year. Really good win to start the season against LSU. And um, I think that's a program that seems to be heading in the right direction as well. So yeah. Part of me would love a good matchup like Arkansas, a lot of history there. FSU has been a while since we played them. A win over FSU, I think, would really elevate this program in the offseason. Um, but, you know, do you want that or do you want just to get that seventh, eighth win? And I think if OU can go out to Lubbock and get a victory, that eighth win is most important thing. To eight and five feels very different than seven, six, or even potentially six and seven, depending on how things shake out here. So very, very important in whatever bowl that we end up going to, like just give me a matchup that I feel good about. Um, and I only feel good about one of these. So do you feel different? Cause I would say if OU plays all, all three of these teams, they go one and two. If TCU goes to the playoff, the whole big 12 goes up a slot. And I think that's where the cheese it bowl comes into play. FSU would be a super tough opponent in my opinion. Yeah. I, I don't think that they're going to have too many opt outs. I think you're going to have a lot of guys that are excited to play in that type of a game. The Cheez-It Bowl is cool. Um, you know, that's one that the media loves to talk about. <laughs> you know, Cheez-It Bowl has yeah. had some weird games. So it would get lots of attention, but I don't know. I don't know what type of team OU is at that point, uh, playing on the road at the end of the year after a bunch of practices. Brent Venables talked in his press conference today about, you know, wanting to have loyalty to the team, to the brand, and, and talking in regards to having guys not opt out of a uh, postseason game. I just am not sure that that's going to be the case. I think there's going to be a lot of guys in the portal. And then I think you're going to have some guys that could potentially opt out for good reasons. So yeah, Auburn would probably be the best opponent to potentially play there. But I also don't think other teams are immune to that either. Like Arkansas, KJ Jefferson, I think yeah. he's a guy that could potentially opt out. I think Drew Sanders is uh, NFL eligible. I don't know if he's necessarily thinking about going pro. He's had a great year, so it could go the other way as well. So, yeah, I think one thing we do know, regardless of the bowl game, we can expect big numbers from Marcus Major. This is where he shines. Gets us all <laughs> gets us all yeah. excited about the following year. Uh, yeah. Marcus Major and bowl games go go hand in hand pretty well. Yeah, I, I was I was encouraged, though. I didn't want to go play in Phoenix at like 10, 15 Eastern, and I didn't want to play like a group of five school or anything like that. So yeah. I think there's opportunity there. I'd feel much better if we can win in Lubbock this week and avoid any possibility of a losing season. I don't think you want that. Uh, <sighs> You know, yep. ammo for other fan bases, especially as we go into the off season. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit about Lubbock. OU's playing a six thirty p.m. kickoff in Lubbock against the Red Raiders. They also got bowl eligible this past weekend. Went up to Iowa State, won fourteen to ten. Tyler Shuck is now starting at quarterback for the Raiders after being injured for most of the year. He's been kind of okay, I guess. He was not so good against TCU was pretty good against Kansas and then was what pretty much everybody is against Iowa state, which yeah. is pretty average just because that defense is, is really, really tough, but not, not as many names or playmakers on this red Raiders offense that you've seen in years past. You've got a two headed, um, you know, running back committee, Sir Roderick Thompson somehow still around at Texas tech. He feels like a guy that's been in college forever. And then no real major names stand out at wide receiver. Like you see at Texas tech most years, but I don't know. It kind of feels kind of feels like Oklahoma State again. Like they're just kind of they're kind of there and they're kind of OK on offense. I think this game really just comes down to which OU team are you going to see? I didn't love how much celebrating took place after Bedlam. If you want my honest opinion, Gatorade bath. It was uh, that's embarrassing. Yep. We have not talked about that yet. The fact that Brent Venables got a Gatorade bath over after beating Oklahoma State is absolutely embarrassing. And maybe even that that may be a lower low than our record at six and five. And, I was stunned at that. And there was a reason that you didn't see that on social media from OU no. or anywhere else because yeah, that was not that was not cool. <laughs> we talk we were talking about culture and how Brent's building this culture. Cultures don't give Gatorade bass when you beat your little brother rival to become bowl eligible at this point in the season. That and should they, be unacceptable. 
and they lost the final three quarters. Yes. 13 to nothing. So yes. Yeah. So all that being said, I think this OU team is going to be a complete letdown on, uh, on Saturday. Uh, I think that uh, it felt like the season was over last weekend. And I think they will play like it on Saturday. I think tech probably goes up and down the field against this team. And while I, I do think the offense will be better, I don't think they'll be good enough. I think it'll be very similar to a West Virginia feel where we're just a higher scoring West Virginia feel. If you want my honest opinion, I, I, I don't, I'm not looking forward to this one. OU hasn't scored 30 points on the road since Nebraska in week three. Texas Tech, though, doesn't have their best defender. He's already opted out. He's uh, going to have surgery and, and head off to the NFL. Tyree Wilson, 14 tackles for loss, six sacks. Definitely helps a lot when you don't have Andrew Rame and um, you got an offensive line that has been pretty good. But at sure. times, you know, Dylan Gabriel hasn't, he didn't have the mobility to get out of the pocket. So I think that can help there. So, you don't have any confidence in uh, in this offense to be able to uh, to score effectively. It sounds like I I have them scoring over thirty, so I think they will score enough, um, but it won't be enough to win the game. Yeah, and then we'll get to that score prediction in a bit. Yeah, it, I, I've kind of gone back and forth, and I'll give my score prediction here at the end of the podcast as well. But yes, it does feel like. I just can't trust this team. I can't trust this offense. The defense, ironically, I'm trusting a little bit more at this point. I think I know what I can get out of them. They're not going to be perfect, and they might be standing on the field at the end of the game, not able to get off. But I kind of feel a little bit more like I know what to expect from them. The offense is so unpredictable, like great first quarter. Um, you know, they, they played some decent at times against Iowa state and then disappeared for other times. Mm -hmm. And it's like, man, they just, they can't be consistent. And you, because of that, you don't get the complimentary football, even Saturday with the four interceptions only, Oh, you only scored seven points off of those, which is kind of amazing that like, it wasn't far, far worse than, than what it was. Even, even special teams, they couldn't capitalize. I mean, you had that yeah. trick play where uh, I should have gone for a touchdown. Shouldn't it, it? should have like, gone. It felt like it, but yeah. even then you get into Oklahoma state territory on a kickoff return and like they went three and out, I think, um, I don't think they did anything. So it's just, it, it goes back to what we've been saying about this team all season long after the Nebraska game. Complimentary football is not possible with this team right now. And you see it time and time again. At some point, exactly what you're saying, Adam, like they are who they are. And it is impossible for me to think this team goes into Lubbock because I don't care what Tech's record is. They could be ranked number one in the country. They could be at the bottom of the Big 12. That place is going to be hostile. They're going to be ready to play. And they typically... Um, with some exceptions tend to play us pretty well down there. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not overly optimistic and this will be the first time. in I don't know how long, what we haven't had a losing record since 99. Is that right? 98. 98. First time since then we, you know, potentially could be looking at a losing record. Scary. I was five years old in 1998. Yeah. So that's how long it's been. If Michael Turk punts 11 times like he did in Bedlam in, uh, in against Texas Tech, we're I think we're in pretty big trouble there. So yeah. let's uh, let's jump into our bets. Let's do it. Uh, it has it's gotten interesting, Adam. Not necessarily at the top, but boy, have things shrunk up uh, in second and third place here. Tyler now leads me for second place by a half game. Uh, with it with a tie or a push that he's gotten you're sitting at the top 31 26 and three a four game lead how confident are you feeling with two weeks to go here i feel pretty decent um you know i have a five game lead when you consider the tiebreaker i have over right. tyler and it's tyler that i'm fighting against now you you it's a little <laughs> different sure uh, but I, I just feel like okay i if I can get past this week, then I basically have to have an 0 and 5 final right. week and then has to fade you. championships. Yeah. yeah. So it's like the likelihood of that is pretty low. Um, I don't have the troops on my card this week. The troops have let me down time and time again. I was I, hoping you put them on there. I, I thought about it. I was like, you know what? <laughs> I should just keep doing it until I get it right. Um, and I don't, I don't know that I'll have an opportunity next week because I don't think Air Force is going to play in their conference championship game. And I believe and Army uh, Navy Air, is the week Army after. Army Navy right? is, is off. Yeah. yeah. So 
I'm done with the troops. I'm done with them for the entire year. Uh, we'll, we'll regroup and see what we can do uh, next year on the campaign trail for the troops, but I uh, left them off the card. I guess I can go ahead and kick us off and then we'll alternate Tyler's picks. Uh, well, I had, he, I had one more thing I wanted oh, to go chat ahead. with you about, Adam. So yeah. I don't, I'm sure you remember a couple of weeks ago, I completely changed my, uh, my entire uh, plan to try to get back in the race by just, I told you I was going for points every single week, right? That was my plan. That's what I wanted to do. Adam, I took three overs. I went three and two last week. I took three overs. What do you think my record was on the overs? Uh, I know you went, you, you at least got the USC UCLA game, but I was three and oh on the overs, nice. <laughs> the, the, the games that I don't take overs, I lose. Um, and so as of now, and I'm going to change my pick here cause I just saw Tyler matched the one game that I don't have an over. So now I've got four overs on my card and we miss, we may turn it to five, uh, cause that seems to be working with me. So Adam, kick us off. You're leading the way. Yeah, I've got Georgia Tech plus 36 and a half at Georgia. It's a huge spread uh, in this rivalry game. And I think Georgia plays really well in games that they really care about yeah. and kind of just okay in games that are kind of meaningless. And this is kind of a meaningless game. It's a lot like, it's similar to Bedlam, but in terms of like someone dominating the rivalry in the win column, but these games are, these teams are nowhere close to each other. Mm-mm. On the other hand, Georgia Tech is playing pretty well right now. They beat UNC last week. Yeah, it was a good win. And I think, you know, Georgia could totally blank Georgia Tech. It could be a shutout. But if that's the case, I don't think Georgia really puts their foot on the gas. And it's probably like 35 nothing. So I yeah. think the Yellow Jackets will do enough here to to keep it within 37 points. Yeah, I think that's a pretty solid pick. You just got to wonder how how up is Georgia for this game. Um, they They played down most of the year. Uh, yeah. to, to the team's level. So I think that's pretty solid there uh, for Tyler's pick. I'm just going to get his five off, off our plate here. Um, Arkansas minus three at Missouri, which was a game. I loved, I <laughs> loved this game. And now I don't, I don't think I can take it. Uh, I guess I could do it last week and just have a game in comments. That way I'm, I'm you not go first necessarily, half. I could go first half. Let me go see what that is. Um, Kansas at Kansas State. He's got Kansas State uh, minus seven first half. Michigan at Ohio State. Ohio State minus seven and a half. That line seems big. Uh, Coastal Carolina. He's got plus 13 and a half at James Madison. NC State at North Carolina. He's got the Tar Heels bouncing back with uh, minus six and a half there. So uh, I'll be very interested. A lot of his picks are... I don't know how I feel about them. Uh, so maybe that's a, maybe that's a good thing, but some of these lines going back to what has stumped us all these past uh, 11, 12 weeks, some of these seem too good to be true. And Coastal that's the- Carolina, no Grayson McCall for the rest of the season on the road against a team that is yeah. moving from the FCS, but a very good at team in the Dukes of James Madison. So interesting, interesting pick there for Tyler. Yeah, my first pick while I figure out this whole Arkansas debacle, uh, give me Notre Dame USC over 64 and a half. You're going to hear the overword a lot in these next few picks, Adam. Yeah. R- wish that game was in South Bend. It's I would no, love like it, it to was be in Boston College. Wish That'd it was. be great. My number two, South Carolina at Clemson. I'm going to take the Tigers. It is a 14 and a half point spread here. South Carolina, though, followed up what I would consider their, their second biggest win of the season, which was against Texas A&M. I know the Aggies are not good, but in, in name brand, that was a big win for the Gamecocks. Mm -hmm. They followed that up by losing at home to Missouri. And so now they're going away from home playing at Clemson, a team vastly, you know, more talented than they are. I wonder if the focus is there and I don't trust Spencer Rattler. I know him too well. I think the Tigers win by more than 14 and a half here. Spencer Rattler, I learned this week has got a little Bo Nix in him. He's going to be really good for a game or two. And he was really good on Saturday. I'm with you. I think Clemson hammers South Carolina. Uh, People forget very quickly South Carolina lost to Vandy just a couple weeks ago. Uh, And Florida uh, pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go out to the battle in Kansas, KUK State. Um, KU offensively was so bad against Texas. Uh, And that's the only thing that gives me just a little bit of pause. Uh, but hopefully they can uh, get things back together this week for an in-state rivalry over 61 and a half. My next one, Memphis at SMU taking the over on 69 and a half could be a little bit of rain in the forecast here. So it makes me a little bit nervous, but anytime SMU is playing yeah. and Memphis too, for that matter, I think there's going to be a high total. Yep. 
I'm going to stick with in-state rivalries. I didn't realize I had three of them until I was looking just now. Uh, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, over 58 and a half. This line seems low. I feel like I'm taking the bait here. Um, But we'll see. Kiffin and Leach, you would think that means points. We'll see if that comes true. 58 and a half. A lot of drama there on Lane Kiffin uh, from last night. We'll see. His his tweet was it. so good, though. Did you see it? On the, <laughs> the he was like live out the reporter. So yeah. good. That was awesome. Yeah, love it. Uh, my number four. I haven't bet them all year. I've saved them in my back pocket here. I'm bringing them out for the last season <laughs> wow. or last week of the regular season. Uh, Michigan State. Uh, I haven't talked about Michigan State very much this year. It used to be a last year thing where I was high on Michigan State. Mm-hmm. I'm doing this for the in-laws and for my dad, also a Michigan State Spartan, plus 18 and a half on the road at Penn State. Spartans disappointed last week. Should have gotten to bowl eligibility at home in double overtime against Indiana. Failed to do it. They're fighting for their bowl eligible life in State College this week against a Penn State team that's had a good year. Their uh, their top wide receiver is now out for the year though, and I just wonder like what all do they have to play for at this point? Like, do they kind of sleepwalk through this one? So give me the Spartans. Yep, that's a, that's an interesting one. Um, I'm gonna go to Washington, Washington State, um, over sixty and a half. Again, don't love it, but I'm sticking with the over theme here, and hopefully it pays off. My last pick almost feels too good to be true. It feels like a trap, Um, but I'm going with the K-State of the ACC, Pittsburgh Panthers, minus six and a half at Miami, a team that's kind of in disarray, and I I don't think that Pitt's going to make the mistakes um, that that Miami will. I think they'll take advantage of all the Hurricanes' mistakes there. I think they can win by more than a touchdown. All right, I'm going to take your advice here. I Honestly, if I was smart, I'd be going with one of your picks just to kind of stay in, in the wheelhouse. But yeah, give me Arkansas. Only a one and a half point favorite at the half against Missouri. Um, if they play anything like they did last weekend, they'll cover that pretty easily, I think. So give me the Razorbacks minus point and a half first half, which leads us into score predictions. Adam, I noticed you have changed your score prediction from earlier today. So take me through your train of thought here because you did have OU on your card earlier to win this game. If I saw correctly, that's changed, correct? Yeah, I had OU earlier today. I, what did I have it at? Like 31, 27, something like that. Super low score, I thought. Yeah, and I, I'm just sitting there thinking, man, like OU hasn't scored 30 points in a road game since Nebraska. And Texas Tech is, they're okay. They're, they're not, there's nothing interesting or special about them. Like they're not bad, they're not good. I mean, they don't have the most impressive wins on their schedule, but they did throttle West Virginia at home. Um, you know, they beat Iowa state. They they've kind of beaten the teams that they should, um, and then lost to the teams that they should as well. So I don't know what to make of them, but I do know this OU team pretty well. And I know that they shoot themselves in the foot and the offense can go dormant for long periods of time. So I ended up changing that. I think, I think Texas tech wins 28 to 23 here. feels like another situation where the offense just needs to get back on the field and the defense can't quite get the ball back. I think the defense plays really well. Texas Tech gives up a lot of sacks, so we'll see if we see more pressure on the quarterback uh, this week that we saw in Bedlam. But I just wonder if the offense is going to bring enough points to Mm -hmm. the table, and even though it might come down to getting a stop from the defense, I think the defense will play good enough to keep you in the game. It's just the offense I don't have a whole lot of faith in. So I've got Texas Tech 28-23. to Yeah, we'll shift to Tyler's pick here and give uh, his analysis. He's got the Red Raiders 34-27. Texas Tech is 5-1 and one at home this season with a scoring average of 40 points per game. Our defense has played great three last four weeks, but I don't think Dylan Gabriel in the offense will be able to execute enough to win on the road Saturday night in Lubbock. Sooners finish the regular season 6-6. Six and six. A lot of overlap between what you mentioned and what Tyler mentioned. Um, I'm with you, and I think this Texas Tech team – after that kind of debacle of a Baylor loss has played a lot better these past few weeks. Um, They played TCU, excuse me, pretty well. Texas Tech had opportunities to win that game. They just didn't do it. And then I think you look at a pretty solid 15 point win. Kansas is no longer just a given walking, walk me, you know, uh, through it game. And then beating Iowa state up in Ames, never easy to do. They grinded out a good win there. So 
I've got Texas Tech as well. I do have OU scoring over 30 points at 31, but Tech scoring higher at 35. Uh, I hate that we're consistently Debbie Downers on this pod, but it's impossible to bet on this team. You cannot do it. Um, and so 35, 31, again, we're all on the same page here. Sooners in the regular season at six and six, which puts a tremendous amount of weight on whatever bowl game they end up into, uh, just to get that seventh win. If they can find a way to win in Lubbock, which I don't, none of us think they're going to, if they can find a way and they get a good matchup in a bowl game, this team ending at eight and five would be a humongous, um, uh, something finish. to, ce- to yeah. yeah finish something to celebrate as you go into this offseason to put it into perspective think about what texas has done over the past 10 years and think of their lowest of lows look at a&m right now not even like sniffing a bowl game for us to have to, for us as a program to be at a, a one of the lowest points in the past 20 years and to only be at eight and five would be a tremendous testament to what this brand is about and i think the coaching staff can sell that flip the script if you win this season at six and seven losing your final two that just makes things so much harder to really loop in these big name recruits that are still on the edge about oklahoma so i think this game has a ton of implications um we're used to this game having implications going back to you know the late 2000s where both teams were ranked going back to the baker years where there was a lot of drama in between it baker mahomes scoring up and down now it's the perception of, of the program and Brent Venable's future of the program is is very relevant in this game. If OU wins this, they will finish the regular season at seven and five, and that will please the Facebook fans who will mm-hmm. say Bob Stoops went seven and five in his first year, <laughs> even though the circumstances are totally different, not related whatsoever. Yeah. Um, it was a lot like in 2019 when Jalen Hurts came to town. And everyone said, hey, the last quarterback that won a national championship at OU also had the same initials, J.H., so, yeah, I almost want them to lose just because of that. I don't want the I don't want the Facebook <laughs> fans to have that ammo to say that uh, things are going to suddenly be you know right. national championship next year. And I have all offseason talk myself into that, which I'm sure I will. <laughs> but we'll get there. Uh, we'll get there. Well, uh, can you imagine the hype if we're sitting at eight and five and we end the year that way? Yeah, like and people be, will be like be a good ready. Florida State team or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, well. Yeah, hate the pessimism, but hope we get a good game. Hope we can find yeah. a win and, and find what we had in that first quarter against Oklahoma State. So we greatly appreciate everyone that listens to the podcast. Um, again, you know, team hasn't been great, but our listenership continues to grow. Um, so we, we certainly appreciate everyone. If you enjoyed it, drop us a five-star review on iTunes. Let us know that you enjoyed this and make sure to follow us on Twitter at the Mainline Pod. And check out our YouTube channel uh, by searching the Mainline Podcast. We've got a new highlight video from... Uh, not from this year's Bedlam, but uh, from years past Bedlam. That's pretty cool. We've got some things that are in the works for the offseason as well. So uh, until then, we will see everyone again next week on the Mainline Podcast. Podcast.